There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Greetings, fellow patrons of the Cedarburg Public Library, and welcome back to the Steve Donahue Show, where we talk about bookish news, views, and reviews with vision and foresight. <laughs> and the, the bookish subject that's on my mind today very much has to do with vision and foresight. As some of you will know, I am a full-time professional book critic. It's all I do. I don't have a side gig of any kind. And in 2020, that job changed some fundamental aspects of its nature, because soon after 2020 dawned in the United States, there came a plague. And suddenly, there was nobody in the shipping departments of publishing houses. There was nobody in the offices, no publicists to stick publicity sheets in books and call up people on their contact list. Nobody in the warehouses to ship things out. Uh, suddenly, the book chat world of which I am a part, the book chat world whose superstructure is advanced word of a book from a publicist, then an advanced reading copy, then a while later a finished printed copy, all coming in the mail, was suddenly over with. That was suddenly a feature that publishers would not do. And like so many other people in so many other professions in 2020, publishers learned that a ready alternative had always been to hand and had just been the ugly stepsister all along, and that was, of course, the world of electronics. It is not necessary for a publicist to be in an office if what they're sending to reviewers and editors and publishers, uh, producers of business uh, news specials or anything like that, is an electronic file. There's no need for any of the falderall of the old world. It feels like an old world anyway. It was just this year. Uh, if you're dealing in electronic books, and so, in order not to collapse completely, the U.S. publishing market did switch completely to electronic books. Suddenly, there was no one to ship printed books, but there were still ways to get electronic review copies to reviewers. You could simply email it to them or email them a widget to a site like Edelweiss or NetGalley where they could download it themselves. And like it or not, and most of my critical brethren did not like it, like it or not, we suddenly had to deal with doing our work electronically. Suddenly, people who had never read an ebook before, quite a few of my fellow reviewers had never voluntarily read an ebook before, suddenly it was the only game in town. If you were going to keep your flow of pieces coming before the reading public, you had to read ahead of time. And if you, if you were going to do that, you had to read an advanced copy. And if you're going to read an advanced copy of the new Marilyn Robinson or the new Martin Amos or the new World War II history, you had to read it electronically. Take notes on it electronically. Think about it. Annotate it. Deal with it electronically. I was in the same boat with a slight benefit, which is that for years before that, I had loved ebooks and had been enjoying them great, a great deal. I was a big fan of Project Gutenberg, for instance, which is an online repository of books that are in the common domain that is vast by now. It's vast, thousands and thousands of titles, well curated, well formatted, and just free so that you can go to Project Gutenberg and download whatever you like, not just all the famous canonical classics, but all kinds of stuff that is 
off the beaten path. All kinds of stuff by little-known or unknown authors today. I'd already been a fan of that, and I was a big fan of reading electronic books uh, for several aspects, several slices of my reviewing life were done almost exclusively electronically. So I had a bit of a soft landing for when the publishing and reviewing industry suddenly went entirely electronic. But when that change happened, when it went from, oh, I don't know, 20% of my reading to 100% of my reading, suddenly I was forced to pay more attention to the peripherals than ever before. For most of the years of my life, the method of reading a book was not up for negotiation. It was a printed material with typewritten words on it. The method of getting that book may have been all over the map. You may have bought it. You may have bought it secondhand. You may have gotten it out of the library. Uh, you may have got it from a publisher. But the method of delivery was the same. Probably that's true for a great many of you. That you're, you're old enough so that you predate the 21st century. And for the, a long time in your life, the method of delivery of a book to your brain was just one way. There were no alternatives. And that... My producer holds up a sign in his booth saying, that's how it was for me. Fortunately, I have a pre-made sign ready to hold up saying, literally no one cares. So let's move on, shall we? That idyllic old way in the 20th century is now gone. There are now many, many ways to deliver an electronic book. This will not be news to any of you, but nevertheless, allow me to ruminate. <laughs> uh, because I came face to face with that variety of ways in the year 2020, when suddenly that became the whole parameter of my job. When suddenly it wasn't, there wasn't any way for me to stop gap things down to just printed books. There weren't any printed books. For, for the whole of the time when the COVID-19 pandemic was raging out of control, which for the rest of the world was mid-March to about late May. And for the United States is for the next 16 years, from 2020 until 2036. Uh, once that happened, once that shift went from 20 or 30% to 100%, suddenly I had to pay a lot more attention to the method of delivery for my electronic books. And that made me pay more attention to my electronic devices. I have a sturdy MacBook Pro as my laptop. It works just fine. It has worked just fine forever. Sooner or later, probably sometime in 2020, I am going to have to go into its innards and do a major clean on memory. There's quite a bit of, of junk in there. It saved every document that I've ever written on the whole of it this whole time. I don't need any of them. And that's a vast amount of space by this point. That's thousands and thousands of documents, thousands of pictures, thousands of movies that don't need to be on there. But aside from that, and there's still plenty of memory on the thing, it has worked like a charm. But I, unlike some of my critical brethren, do not want to read books on my laptop. It just, just doesn't feel right. The laptop is for work. And that has naturally made me look to my handheld devices. I have a proliferation of handheld devices. I have an iPhone. I have a small 8-inch Kindle. I have a larger 10-inch Kindle. I have a small iPad mini, and I have a couple of full-sized iPads of various uh, degrees of antiquity. Uh, all of them can receive electronic books, and all of them can display and read them. All of them can annotate. Electronic books 
as a species, as items, are infinitely, easily superior to their printed paper and ink counterparts. I know that's a little bit heretical for a professional book reviewer to say, for someone involved in the book world, but nevertheless, it's not arguable. Uh, an electronic book is not subject to silverfish or aphids or mice or fire or damp. It is infinitely transferable between devices. It lasts forever. Most of these things are done, are formatted on such open format devices that any device will, will be able to read it. And they can be stored on a thumb drive that you can keep on your keychain and move from device to device. You can also keep an infinity of notes on the thing. I could write a novel in one open note file that pops up when I press on a margin. No hunting for space, no flipping around on printed pages forever because I know I saw some mention of the Eiffel Tower at some point now. I can just ask the text. That's all. I could just go up to the top of an electronic text and ask it. Tell me where in your, in your length the Eiffel Tower is mentioned. Every time, and the page, and then take me there. Infinitely superior, especially from the point of view of a professional book reviewer, where you, the, it's always the little detail that will trip you up, where you know that, that uh, Nam Peng was mentioned at some point in the book, and you, for the life of you, can't find it, and it's maybe a novel, so it's, there's no index. No, no, the device, the, the format itself is beyond question superior. But that still leaves the question of the device on which to read it. And there are changes, there are limitations in every one of them. The, the uh, Kindles that I have, for instance, have expandable memory. I can put a memory card in them to take as many books, as many documents extra as I want. I can just keep increasing the size of the memory card to some vast amount that I would never, ever use. But a Kindle device is a little pickier about the way it plays with other ecosystems, with the way, the, the way that it does things. Even when you swap out the Amazon skin on the thing for a more general, more adaptable Android skin, you'll still run into problems like that. They aren't omnipresent, they certainly aren't deal breakers, but they are there. Whereas an iPad tends to be a much smoother experience, but an iPad's memory is not expandable. Unless you move things electronically to the Google Cloud, uh, which technically in the fine print gives Google ownership of it all to the, to the limited extent that they don't have ownership over all of us anyway. Uh, but unless you do that, you are stuck with the memory that's built into the iPad. There is no slot for adding memory to it. And that can be a problem. If you're racking up ebooks, that can be a problem. You can start to edge out your, your available space. And so on and so forth. It's not just the, the technological technicalities. It's also the form factor, the aesthetics, the, the interaction, the interface of any kind. It's a, an experience that I have found between my phone, my smaller pads, and my larger pads, that no one device works perfectly for everything, especially if you add in all the other stuff that I want it to do. I want it, for instance, to record these podcasts and upload them. I want it to do all that smoothly and obediently. I would like it to record videos. I have a booming booktube video channel. I'd like to record videos. In other words, I'd like the camera to be fairly good, the microphone to be fairly good. I'd like it to be able to do all sorts of interfacing with the larger YouTube and and uh, and internet world without glitching, without worrying, without being able, without failing, being able to handle these things where I don't ever get someplace with some complex demand on the device and suddenly realize that I'm asking too much of it. 
because it was built a few years ago or because it's not it's complete competing companies and they're not playing nice with each other in other words the more i use this technology i use it now more than i ever did before because i have to and it's not an unpleasant uh extent to be driven to at all i love handheld technology i love smart technology swiping technology i love that it is a dream come true it is as we will see a specific dream come true very specific and a dream that i've had and that i waited to come true uh, no i love using the technology the problem is that the more i use it and the more i encounter the fact that i'm working for an hour straight on one device and suddenly realize with the next thing i try to do oh wait this device won't do that. For that, I need another device. The number of times that's happened since March has not been insignificant. And it has caused me to remember uh, an impatient kind of utopia that I have always wanted, which is one device to rule them all. One handheld device that can do everything. Everything. A handheld device, for instance, that can, ex that can extrude a full-size keyboard that I can use so that the handheld device is perfectly fine for long-term prose typing. Those of you who have ever tried it will know that the the uh, built-in virtual haptic keyboards for, for slates like an iPad or a Kindle are not optimal for large amounts of typing. You pretty much, no matter how you might try to retrain your instincts, you pretty much are restricted to two-finger typing. And that slows me down. So there's a lot of typers now down that I know. Um, so I would I dream about it, uh, a perfect device in which that would be possible, or better yet, a device that didn't extrude a full-size keyboard, but rather that was a perfectly developed, intuitively flawless speech-to-word, speech-to-text dictation device. I don't know again how many of you have tried the various speech-to-text dictation programs and apps that are out there now. But uh, most of them are a logistical nightmare. They might be great for a memo, <laughs> for a two-line memo, fire Jones and make it look like an accident. Uh, but for 800 words of prose on the fall of the Habsburg Empire, no, they will not work. You will spend five times the amount of time picking through, fixing errors in the printed version than you would have spent typing the thing, even two-finger typing on, a, on a, an on-screen keyboard. Uh, so... That would be great, too, and that doesn't exist. And also, I think about everything else. Some of my devices are far more delicate than others. I have a plastic casing for most of them. I have a plastic casing for my phone, but I have no illusions that if I drop my phone from waist height, just uh, not not hurling it, not, not rocky shores down below, just dropped my phone from waist height to the floor, I have no illusions that it would continue to work. It would bounce, but it would break. And so on and so forth. You, you get my point that the more I look at these devices, the more I live with them and use them for my work and for my pleasure, the more I realize their limitations, which is an odd thing to realize because they are the culmination of a dream. And like I mentioned, it's a very specific dream. They are not only the culmination of a dream, they are, many people could argue, an explicit copy of a dream. Because before there was an iPod, from Apple, before there was the very prototypical iPad, the very first generation iPad, one of which I have. Before there were those things, they existed on Star Trek. And Steve Jobs and his team of engineers knew that perfectly well. 
They watched Star Trek The Next Generation, set in the 24th century, where people routinely used handheld, flat-screen devices that could do anything, and that were called pads, personal, aspect, a personal uh, access display devices. P-A-D-D. Oh, I know my, my fellow patrons. What a cause of envy a 24th century pad was. <laughs> I'm told by the Star Trek fandom site Memory Alpha uh, that they used isolinear components in, in their inner electronics, that they were powered by a sarium crelide power cells that drew power from any nearby electronic source. They didn't dampen that source. They just sort of piggybacked and parasited that power so that if you were anywhere near any kind of electronics, your device was constantly powered. Which, of course, on a starship, which is where we mostly saw these things, would be universally the case. And they had a boronite whisker epoxy casing that made them extremely tough. So that you could, never mind dropping it from waist height onto a floor, you could drop the thing in engineering down 30 feet. <laughs> and it, wouldn't, it would bounce all around the place and still be perfectly functional. It wouldn't even be scratched. And when you watch... Star Trek The Next Generation, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Star Trek Voyager. You see the characters using these things. And you can imagine. It's left to your imagination, as it was to those technicians at Apple, that decided to make those devices a living reality that we all take for granted now. Just like we take handheld communicators, uh, which, again, were presaged in, from the real world on Star Trek by a long shot. But we look, I look, anyway, at those Star Trek iterations, and I see those pads that everyone's using. Sometimes they're different sizes. They all look very sturdy. They have a kind of boxy grace to them. They look very useful. They look like you could use the daylights out of them. And in the world of Star Trek, of Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek, people must have, because that world exists without paper. Captain Kirk's affection for paper-printed books is viewed as an eccentricity, a charming eccentricity, but totally impractical. When he is up for court-martial and, and needs a lawyer, the lawyer that he hires, Samuel T. Cogley, also has an affection for printed books and proudly says that he has a computer in his office that he never uses. But by the time all of the other, the later Star Trek episodes, the, the later Star Trek shows, like The Next Generation or Deep Space Nine or Voyager came along, that uh, Luddite anachronism was gone. And all the characters just routinely live in a world without paper. They live in a world of pads that they're constantly carrying around and that seemed so adaptable. Even when I was watching a boring episode of Star Trek, and when you're watching Star Trek The Next Generation, that's almost unavoidable. Uh, I was still just drooling over these background devices, how useful they seem, how omnicompetent, able to do anything, record, send, commandeer uh, ship systems, do all sorts of paperwork, do all sorts of audiovisual technology. There, it seemed to me when I was watching, is my one device to rule them all. And oh my, it was so tempting. I have often daydreamed, especially in 2020, of having a pad instead of having a wide variety of devices that are littered all over the place, uh, even though I love them. That seems exorbitant. It seems redundant. And I've often daydreamed about having a pad, a personal aspect, a personal access display device that's connected to this massive ship's library, which is, again, 
a reality now. We have the internet, which never falters, which is never running out of power, which is never running out of room. I daydream about such a thing, and maybe I shouldn't. Maybe the grass is always greener on the other side of the engineering section. Maybe that's true. Because if you, if you pay close attention to those later iterations of Star Trek, you see that characters often have many pads. That the same character will often have many pads apparently necessary to do one function. In other words, pads exist in a massive proliferation in the 24th century, the same way they seem to do now in the 21st century. Uh, so maybe I shouldn't be quite so wistful. But having this nonstop truck of electronic books to read, and a whole bunch of electronic-related things to do, talking to you, filming videos, that sort of thing, doing Zoom calls, it still makes me wistful for one device that can do everything perfectly. So... Uh, that's how I want to wrap up this Friday episode of the Steve Donahue Show by, by wistfully dreaming about a technology that doesn't exist. Although, doesn't it? <laughs> Is it possible that in an episode of the Steve Donahue Show in 2021, I will be proudly talking about my, oh, I don't know, iPad Pro? With a retina-sharp camera and 500 gigs of internal storage? Is it possible? <laughs> we shall see. I will report back. <laughs> Have a wonderful weekend in the meantime, all of you, and I wish you all happy reading. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.